Twitter, I'm Saeed Jones. He's Hayes Brown. You're watching AM to DM. And listen, the wait is almost... It's not almost over. Game it of Thrones is. is not until Sunday. It's... It's... It is almost here. We're, the wait is over in my calendar. Like we're we are finish the show. It's the last show before. And we'll continue to wait until Sunday night. If Christmas was on Sunday, would you do the show and not acknowledge the Christmas? It's time. I'm w- Fine. Bam. Got him. <laughs> so winter <laughs> has been here for a minute, but now there is a goddamn ice dragon. So, so tell excited. me, Saeed, have you been rewatching the show? Yes. Yes. I started earlier this week. Yeah. Um, I started halfway through season six because mm. there's just so much show. Y'all. There's so much it's show. overwhelming, but it's been helpful. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I've been enjoying it. You know, I've been live tweeting it, um, but also I, I do feel like it's helpful to rewatch at least a few episodes yes. going into mm-hmm. uh, the new season, the final season, because it's been two damn years. It has. Two years. It's, That's a long time. It is like you look back and you remember like you think you remember but you don't remember all the memes that happened at the uh-huh. time you have, don't remember what any of them mean mm-hmm. nothing makes sense anymore totally. I, we, me and my girlfriend just started watching season 7 again this week okay. and it's amazing how much Woo. I forgot for just from the last season so much happened so before we get there some last minute predictions okay. A who do you think is going to win and B who do you think is going to die first in season 8 Ooh, mm-hmm. who's gonna win? No one, or, or like winter. I, I the think Night the, King. I think wins. the zombies and every because I feel like mm-hmm. the, it's about climate change mm-hmm. and it's like Game of Thrones. It's a game. It's folly. Mm-hmm. You know, this is bullshit. You need to rally together, like you know we do in real life, mm-hmm. uh, to get mm-hmm. our shit together because climate change is coming. You know, and if we keep playing this game, it'll be to all of our um, ruin. Uh, who's gonna die first? Yes, a lot of white people to choose from. <laughs> Um, Brienne, mm. because I, one because you know she's kind of a, a secondary character, right? She's lower tier, and I feel like she's beloved. She's incredible. She's mm-hmm. had an incredible arc, right? You know, I also feel like she doesn't have much to do. She technically has completed her mission, you know. True. And I feel like it would be devastating and shocking, and everyone be, you know lose their shit. And Word. that's what you want to kick off the season. My money is actually on the Hound because they spend so much time getting us hype for Clegane Boy, the mm. Bull, the Mountain versus the Hound mm. that because they're freaking mean, they will take him from us before we get to see that. Wow. We're going to be ready and then nothing. Okay, I, I live for seeing him disappointment. Let's take it to the <laughs> timeline. Uh, who do you think is going to be the next white person to join Ned Stark and all those other white people that have died over the course of Game of Thrones? So many to choose from. Really, it's uh, part of my joy in watching the show. Anyway, let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. All right, before we move on, Saeed, I got to say, I think we would make really good models. I mean, look at this. Fashion. You better get into these mm. AM to DM lower third t-shirts. That's right. Put the camera on my breasts. Mm. Let them see. Let them see. These pectorals. My boobs <laughs> don't trust you. Mm-hmm. I mm. love it. So these are our first time getting to wear the lower third t-shirts. Um, and you can vote. Every, we're going to do this every week. There's the link right there where you can buy the shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, but every week we'll have new lower thirds and you can decide what t-shirt is. I think this week there's one about the black hole, which feels very apt. Feels very right. So don't forget to sign up for our brand new AM to DM newsletter to see which lower third won our poll for next week's t-shirt. It'll also include show highlights, some exclusive content, and teasers for next week. We're tweeting at the link now. There it is. Enjoy. Take it, timeline. Take it. All right. Well, let's talk about Nipsey Hussle's memorial uh, Mm. because it was pretty incredible. Uh, Brittany Danielle tweeted, Lauren London texting Nipsey, my loyalty and devotion is to you, breaks my heart. They deserved to have their happy ending. But as Candace Benbow wrote, there is nothing we can do to stop the bullet determined to break our hearts. (sighs) Damn, Candace. That is really deep for a Friday morning. Yeah. But... I mean, this is this is yeah, this heartbreaking. Is, it really is. This is really heartbreaking. I, I, I just, you know, I, I feel like we should like take a look at, at, at the video of Lauren London. Yes, here's just yeah. a part of Lauren London's beautiful eulogy to Nipsey. It's in 
Aramis, the love of my life, you know what it is. Grief is the final act of love. My heart hears you. I feel you everywhere. I'm so grateful that I had you. I love you beyond this earth. And until we meet again, the marathon continues. Ooh, grief is the final act of love. That is very powerful. What a statement. And the defiance in her voice at the end just really gets to me. Like, just challenging life, basically. Like, Uh I am going to keep going with this. I I felt palpable rage from Mm -hmm. Lauren, and I think it's absolutely deserved. I mean, part of, you know, what's so heartbreaking about this story is that this is a story about gun violence. You know, we didn't just lose Nipsey. He was stolen from us. And this is unfortunately an experience that's become too universal. There are too many people like Lauren London who's been like, this person was stolen from me, and the marathon continues. I'm not going to stop doing the work. Mm -hmm. Well, Brittany Danielle joins us now to talk about this. Brittany, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, We're doing well. So let's start with her. What stood out to you most about Lauren's powerful eulogy? Um, I think what stood out to me was the fact that she was just so composed, right? I think I would be unable to be up there talking uh, the week after the person that I loved and the person that um, made me feel all these emotions in the memorial booklet. She shares a text message and she called him her protector, basically her soulmate, her everything. And I would just feel so devastated that I was just really um, struck by her strength and her ability to get up there and to get through it, really. So the Staples Center, where the memorial was held, was basically sold out. It was standing room only, completely packed. What does that say to you about the life that Nipsey led? I mean, it's been a long time since this sort of thing has happened at a memorial (laughs) at the Staples Center, right? Yeah, I think the last one was Michael Jackson's memorial. So that was 2009 and Michael Jackson. So um, I think it says that the city of Los Angeles, like we really loved him. He felt like one of us. He was called Neighborhood Nip for a reason. Um, He represented for so many of us, particularly those of us who grew up in South Central and who are very familiar with all of the the traps of, you know, gang culture, of gang life. Who, who have lost friends and acquaintances and classmates and, you know, other people to the to gun violence. Um, he represented somebody who made it, but who was very much still rooted in the community that he came from and very much still um, committed to helping the community that he came from. So it feels even more uh just hurtful that he was taken in this particular way. And like his brother said, on Slauson and Crenshaw, a place that he represented to the fullest. Absolutely. I believe you wrote a piece for Shondaland, um, just kind of explaining like how people can uh, translate our grief. Because I mean, I, I, rightfully, I think people are feeling so much. Listen, Hayes and I actually aren't very familiar with Nipsey's music, um, but we have been like really touched by this. So do you have ideas about how we can respond in kind to his legacy, kind of turn our hurt into wholeness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did write the piece for Shondaland where I came up with five different ways that people can, you know, honor Nipsey's legacy by giving back in their own communities. He was very involved with local schools. So, you know, if you want to volunteer at a school, if you want to beautify a campus, if you want to donate money to schools, particularly schools and communities like the one Nipsey came from, which are often under-resourced. He also supported and was really, really about 
entrepreneurship and owning his own stuff and encouraging other people in his community to own his own stuff. Um, he invested in a co-working space in the community, which is absolutely gorgeous. If you're ever in the area, it's called Vector 90. The space is lovely. Um, but in that space, it also includes a STEM center for young people to try to connect them up to technological opportunities and, you know, teach coding and foster that sort of thing. So if, if you um, would like to honor his memory, just give back in your local community. And if you come from just say a more affluent community, maybe find ways to donate time, donate attention. And if you got it, donate money to those organizations who are doing the work, you know, anti-violence organizations, organizations that really work with young people are super important to invest in right now. Absolutely. Right. So the whole memorial was extremely beautiful. I, I got to ask, what what moment in the whole service was the most touching to you and why? Man, I was broken down through the whole service. So <laughs> all of it was emotional. Um, the, the parts that really stand out, in addition to Lauren getting up there to talk, is Nipsey's brother, Sam. Um, Sam just being there for the entirety of Nipsey's life and being by his side and going with him when he went to Eritrea to their father's homeland and, you know, being in the streets and on the front lines with Nipsey and, and, you know, trying to like help him to go legit so they can all go legit. And just the stories that he shared, the emotion that he shared. And I love that he sounded so LA. He got up there. He was authentic. He wasn't trying to censor himself. Um, it just felt, I was, Sam, I'm sending him all my love. All my love. Well, uh, Brittany, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Ooh, shifting gears. Here's a tweet from the LA Times that gets at just how things are going for Stormy Daniels' lawyer turned possible presidential candidate turned defendant in multiple federal cases. A federal grand jury has indicted Michael Avenatti on 36 counts of fraud, perjury, tax dodging, and embezzlement from clients in a sweeping expansion of the criminal case against the Los Angeles lawyer. Life comes at you fast, honey. Joining us, <laughs> <laughs> joining us now to talk about this mess and frankly, a lot of other legal drama uh, is Adrian Lawrence. Adrian, good morning. Morning. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for joining us. All right. So these charges against Michael Avenatti, 36, it's pretty stunning, at least to me. What exactly did he do to draw all of this legal scrutiny? Yikes. He definitely drew a lot of attention to himself. And as a result, federal prosecutors and investigators have been looking into his dealings. And according to them in their 61-page 36-count indictment that has him facing up to 335 years in prison, Michael Avenatti allegedly engaged in things from fraud, perjury, failure to pay his taxes for four years, embezzlement, and other financial crimes. And according to the U.S. attorney out here in L.A., it's a decades-long scheme of embezzling and hiding millions of dollars from clients using shell companies and bank accounts. And the allegations pretty much point to the thought that he was enjoying the money to use to live a lavish lifestyle. I believe they seized his $5 million private jet earlier this week. And so things are not looking very good at all for Stormy Daniels' former attorney. Wow, that's that's so much time in jail. That's so many crimes. So uh, how do these charges, though, affect the many other, at this point, court cases that are up against Michael Avenatti? 
Well, um, as we know from last month, he was hit by the Southern District of New York, and they are quite the elite crew. I used to actually work there at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they hit him with a four-count indictment that faces up to 47 more years in prison um, for allegedly trying to extort $20 million from Nike. And so that is going on. He is currently out um, on a $300,000 bond. And so then he just gets hit with this new indictment. And the things seem to be mounting up. And the thing that really kind of just made me go, oh, man, this is tough, is that when the indictment came down yesterday from the U.S. attorney out here in L.A., apparently Avenatti was in court pleading the fifth so that he didn't incriminate himself in a lawsuit brought by his former partner seeking almost $5 million, claiming that Avenatti owes him the money. And essentially, Avenatti is getting it from all angles here. And you know um, what? The total of potentially spending 382 years in prison, um, it's, it's really, he's got a, he has an uphill battle significantly. That is so much crime. I am like just stunned at how much crime this man managed <laughs> exactly, to do. Exactly, which allegedly, is why it allegedly, also allegedly did come. <laughs> it's really hard because at the same time too, it's like these U.S. attorneys offices, they are so good at what they do that they don't really bring cases and not get uh, someone's head. They have a very Elliot Ness type reputation where they get their man. And so if they are going to pursue charges, it's hard to believe that they're not going to get something or make something stick. So, hey. Yeah, right. Well, moving to more crimes, allegedly. (laughs) Jesse Smollett back in the news again. This time he's being sued by the city of Chicago. How is this possible? How is the city of Chicago suing Jesse? Uh, You know what? The city of Chicago is just really salty that essentially (laughs) the corruption came to his benefit. Um, They're seeking $130,000 from the overtime that was spent by law enforcement when they were chasing down what they say was his hoax hate crime that he had called in. The thing is, you know, that 16 count indictment um, against him for disorderly conduct, it was dropped and he forfeited the $10,000 bail. And he agreed to, I think, 16 hours of community service. And so it seems that the city that a certain segment of the city that this isn't good enough for them. So now they're bringing this lawsuit and it's their way of getting the truth out because essentially any of the allegations that they put in this civil complaint are protected from defamation. Mm. And there's also a lower threshold in civil court, um, which is preponderance of the evidence, making it more likely than not having to prove that what Smollett did was a hoax as opposed to the criminal court beyond a reasonable doubt. The problem is that the statutes that the city is trying to sue him under, they just do not apply here. Uh, One of them is the False Statements Act. That's meant for government contracts and resources, for people who have deals with the government and make statements in connection with bid proposals. And then also the cost recovery ordinance. That's costs related to failures to correct code violations for the city law. And so it's just the city is really, really reaching here. And they could end up essentially losing a lot more than whatever they could recover from Jesse Smollett. Wow. Good job, Chicago. Yeah, stay classy, Chicago. Well, on it. This this next one, frankly, is just for me because, you know, <laughs> I only like paying attention to heteronormativity when it's on fire. Let's talk about Wendy Williams and her husband, who, as an aside, looks like a bucket. Look, go on Twitter, Google searches, man. He looks like Speaking a plastic bucket. of being sued for defamation. Okay. Anyway. They're finally filing for divorce. She has had, like, a rough, rough e- experience. So here's my messy question. Was there a prenup? Mm. 
No, there was not a prenup. I believe that is what uh, she told Howard Stern on his show when he had asked her. There is no prenup there. And Wendy Williams is estimated to be worth I believe around $60 million. And he uh, has been her husband for about 22 years. He's also, I believe, an executive producer on her show and a manager. So their finances are quite um, entangled. But at the same time, it's clear that she is the primary breadwinner here. So this can become difficult, although this isn't a state like California where you have kind of that community property splitsies thing going on. They filed for divorce and they live in New Jersey. And New Jersey is an equity state. That's where you have a split of assets, but it may not be equal, but the court decides it's fair. So who knows? Kevin Hunter could end up getting maybe 30% of her valued worth, depending on a lot of factors that the court will consider in terms of what would be fair, even if it's not equal. Wow. <laughs> never get divorced in New Jersey. Good Hello. No, I think we learned a lesson. Um, Adrian, as always, thank you for giving us the legal tea. <laughs> thank you, guys. Gosh, I, you know, I would, I'm fairly confident that I am not breaking the law right now or anything, but, but after listening to all the, I'm like, could I be? Maybe? I don't know. Michael oh, Avenatti's committed enough crimes for all of us. I just, you know, he paid it. He's paying the price. My 300 plus years. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, anyway, later this morning, I'm so excited, Hayes and Syzygy are going to be reading the house down boots. Yes, God. Uh, for Rucap, the library's coming up. I love them. But first, fire tweets. But real, my God, not, you're fucked, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucked. All right, let's get into these fire tweets. This let's. first one is from Sailor Prance. Sailor Prance. <laughs> Jesus, under six feet tall, nailed to a cross, did not have Gucci flip-flops, <laughs> died a virgin. My mom's yoga instructor, Jesus, <laughs> six foot two, nailed my aunt, two pairs of Gucci flip-flops, still alive, definitely fucks, see aunt. Wow. I, that is like quite the comparison. I'm glad that we got that cleared up, though. Yeah, that's true. Jesus didn't fuck anybody? It's a whole theological thing. We'll get into the thing. We don't have time for this whole Mary Magdalene debate. was right there. Whatever. Irene Carmen, you I tweeted. I have determined there are no good Bretts. Mm. Wow. Mm. Irene, I know one good Brett. Brett Vergara, shout out. You're good. We cool. I got it. You know, how well do we know him? Fairly well, I'd say. You know, I, I mean, he's been nice to me, but just because good someone's good to you doesn't mean they're a good one person. Good I'm just saying, it's uh, there are a lot of shitty Bretts out there. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. We're coming for you, Brett Vergara. All Jeez. right, this next tweet is from, oh, I'm so excited about this. Nicole Cliff, you tweeted, if Isaac Schottner ever asked me for an interview, I will instantly retire from public life. That is the T right there. <laughs> oh, God. Isaac's at the door. Ooh, shook. Run. Run. No, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Okay, if you don't know what we're talking about, yesterday, uh, the New Yorker published an interview with Brett Easton Ellis. Mm -hmm. He's trash. He wrote American Psycho. He's always putting out, like, just contrarian, mm -hmm. like, fucked up opinions. Um, but Isaac Schottner is such a good interviewer. You should read it, less because of Brett, but more to For the see, questions. Yeah, the questioning, the, the, the tactics mm -hmm. of it. It's so good. It's like a Law & Order episode. It's amazing. All right. I love it. Elroy Smith, you tweeted. Self-care is fucking people who don't use Twitter and can't see you act out. Uh, Pro tip. Uh, Pro tip out there. I mean, you say nothing I, but a word. Mm, I love it. Yeah, I love right? It. All right. Tweet of the day. Tweet of the day, shall comes we? Comes from why? 
Why you tweeted, new favorite office thing is when someone sends an email referring to an attachment but forgets to attach anything and then follows it up with a, oh, it would help if I included the attachment. <laughs> First email could be deadly serious. Second comes flying in with shorts and boat shoes on. True. I love this because this is this is actually what happened with Michael Avenatti. <laughs> it was like, oh, you're facing God. like 365 billion years in jail. Oh, forgot to include the attachment. Shucks. Here's the life insurance policy from your grandmother. Oh, my bad. My bad. Here's the attachment. You can't have those different energies, guys. Keep it one energy. Oh, screw me. All right, coming up, you get to see my sit-down interview with Grey Worm from Game of Thrones. I found out if Grey Worm has a dick or not. Stay tuned for the answer. But up next, we're going live from the district. Do you think he Fun has sex. a penis? Yes. No, wait, no, he does not. He does not. You sure? Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning. Well, let's start off here. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Hamid El-Aziz. The Trump administration has tapped Matthew Albans to lead immigration and customs enforcement in the wake of the sudden resignation of its former leader. Albans is known for comparing family detention centers to, quote, summer camps. So, Tarini, who is this guy? Who is this Matthew? Right. So Matthew Albans is a career government official. He was serving as um, the deputy director of the agency before now uh, leading this agency on an acting basis. Um, he shares some of the more hardline views that the president holds on immigration. So, um, I mean, I'm sorry. I just like him saying like the, the detention camps were like mm. summer camp. It's just like very disturbing. So what does that kind of foreshadow uh, for the future of the organization? I think that is an interesting question. I mean, the fact that he said that obviously will, um, you know, really trouble uh, Democrats on the Hill, also advocates, uh, you know, immigration organizations. Uh, I'm sure he will be, you know, facing a lot of questions as he goes through the process. He has not been, you know, officially nominated yet, but I, I think well, you can expect that comment specifically to come up more, uh, but also more questions about his broader views on immigration um, you know, based on Hamed's re reporting, we know that, um, you know, there are comments that people close to him have made that said he basically likes to deport people. And I think we will uh, hear more about that as this process continues. He likes to deport people. It's a source of joy. Um, well, here's a, a tweet from <laughs> Nick Miroff um, of The Washington Post. The White House pushed a plan to punish political rivals by busing ICE detainees into sanctuary cities and releasing them on the streets. And this is according to DHS whistleblowers and Trump administration emails reviewed by the Washington Post. And I just, okay, for people watching the show, I know we consistently in live from the district talk about wild things, right? But this is strikingly, you know, wild. Um, so, uh, Tarini, can you talk about why this is such a problematic idea? And also, we have to note that Matthew Albans, who you just discussed, he did not even like this idea. So mm. what's the deal here? Right. I mean, this is a, a truly stunning story, as you said, and so revealing of, you know, where this administration is coming from and how far it's willing to go to implement its agenda. And, um, you know, this uh, basically came about uh, from what we know of based on The Washington Post reporting twice in November and in February. Um, in November, if you remember, uh, that was when the, the caravan of migrants was moving uh, towards the U.S. border. And again, in February, when um, the partial government shutdown was going on over the president's uh, request for wall funding. So 
Um, this came up twice and obviously a, an insanely controversial proposal that uh, got a lot of pushback from even within the, the Trump administration. Mm, right. So, well, first of all, whose idea was this and how far along did this go before someone was like, please, let's not. Let's just not do this. Excellent question. So based on the, the Post reporting, we know that this came uh, from White House officials. Um, you know, even though Stephen Miller's name, as the Post said, was not in those emails that they reviewed, uh, based on the sources that they talked to, they believed that Miller was the one who was really pushing this plan. Um, and then, you know, as it made its way through the process, it got pushback specifically from ICE and um, the officials that were very uncomfortable by this uh, proposal. Uh, specifically the the legal department of ICE, um, they said it was inappropriate. They brought up liability concerns. They also said it would be a PR risk um, to go through something like this. I mean, it's crazy. And they wanted to, they thought about it twice, which mm-hmm. is just nuts to me. Um, I don't, and the other thing is, I don't even quite understand how it was going to work in, in terms of it being you like using detainees mm-hmm. to punish political rivals like Nancy Pelosi. What was the logic there? So the basic plan uh, was that uh, the migrants coming through the border would be bused to uh, these districts or or counties that are called sanctuary cities where local officials um, have refused to hand over undocumented immigrants for deportation. So uh, the plan was to bus these migrants uh, to some of those districts. Many of them are Democratic districts, including uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, own district in San Francisco, um, and just have them there. I mean, I you know, I'm not really sure what uh, the the president or members of uh, the White House were thinking on this, but they believed that they would be scoring some sort of political points and um, thought this was would be a way to bring Democrats uh, to the table, especially, especially when the budget negotiations negotiations were going on and um, get them to sort of go along with uh, the White House's request for more wall funding. Absolutely baffling. So like you said, though, it got squashed in the process. No, There was no like move towards actually implementing it. So given the number of wild things that we hear that are proposals out of the White House, mm-hmm. things, just crazy-ass ideas that they have, mm-hmm. how seriously should we be taking this particular proposal? Should we be looking at it as being indicative of a broader thing or just a one-off, like, well, that was crazy, moving mm-hmm. on? I think that it is indicative of a broader thing. And I, and I said, as I said earlier, um, it is just revealing of the way the, the members of the White House and the president's uh, administration are thinking on this issue, how far they're willing to go, um, not just on immigration, but in terms of political retaliation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way that this, you know, political re- retaliation was was one of the reasons why they were coming up with this. Um, as I said, to bring Democrats to the table and force them into doing something um, you know, giving the president what he wanted. So I, I think overall, you know, although the, the administration did not go through with this, it is just very revealing in terms of showing us how far they're willing to go, how they're thinking, um, and, and kind of, uh, you know, how even uh, inside the administration, there was uh, some serious pushback on something like this. Right. Uh, Woof. It's just still just mind-boggling that <laughs> they even thought about it enough to send the emails in the first right. place. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tarini, and helping us make some sense of this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's like, I don't even understand the logic. It's like, you know what's worse than putting people in cages? 
Let's send them to the fair city of San Francisco. And like, I don't know, maybe we should let these people go to sanctuary cities. They'll probably be treated better than they are at the border. I mean, one theory, theory I saw is that, well, you send the immigrants there and they'll commit crimes and make the Democrats look bad. That's the logic. That's possibly, oh possibly gosh. the logic. Well, anyway, <laughs> that's the tea. <laughs> Up next, it's time for the library with Sissy G. Oh, I'm so excited. Stay tuned, everybody. I love Sissy G. <laughs> Sissy G, are you almost ready? Oh, yeah, hold on one second. Um... Just looking for my last fuck to give. Welcome back, everybody. The library is open, and I am here once again with the one and the Hi. What are you guys doing? Hi. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hi. That was my camera, but welcome. Well, you know what? When you're this beautiful and you look like Velma from Scooby-Doo all grown up, you need three cameras. <laughs> there is no mystery there. You are correct. <laughs> all right, so let's jump right in. Tensions are getting mm. higher and higher on the show. Raja stood out the most this week. Do you think yeah. she got the dreaded villain edit this time around? Or do you think she's mm. just kind of being a bitch? I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. I think that on one hand, she's being a little bit of a bitch. I mean, yes. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's frustrating mm -hmm. because there's so much attention paid to the other girls mm -hmm. and they're getting these heartfelt messages. You can really tell this was Plastique's episode. Mm -hmm. And Raja doesn't get that. But what I will say, yes. Raja pissed me off from day one. I mean, like, let's just, a fact is a fact. Like, during the AOL's Build series, <laughs> mm -hmm. Raja kept on stepping over everyone's moment, everyone's question. Okay. And it was real messy. And I thought, maybe she'll redeem it. She didn't. Word. Well, Sorry. speaking of redemption, Plastic Tiara has been relatively quiet, and the judges have given her a lot of mm -hmm. criticism over her lack of personality. Right. But this week, we learned about her strained relationship with her family really quickly. Yeah. How did you feel hearing her story? Well, I think it was important to hear mm. because... Not uh, this. I know this is going to sound strange, but this story is not unique. This story, you see it with so many girls, mm -hmm. and you know we can we can try to dissect the 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 cultural reasons for this, which is colonialism. <laughs> not wrong. Not wrong. But at the end of the, oh, thank you, <laughs> colonialism counter one. Uh, but. <laughs> I do feel for her, mm -hmm. and it was important to hear. But how do you feel about Rue's moment with her, that reaching out and the hugging and calling, oh. call me, I'm your mama now? How do you feel about that? Well, that wasn't so much a touching moment as it was a promo for Rue's upcoming TV show. I mean, Sorry. I, I think you might be right there, especially considering uh, Pearlgate a couple of weeks ago. Look. Where <laughs> if you aren't aware of this tea, Pearl from season seven went out there and said that, she was trying to connect with Rue, said, you know, we had this moment, and mm -hmm. I've, you, I've been a fan of you for a long time. Rue Paul Charles looked at her per pearl and said, if those cameras aren't on, what you say does not matter. Which, when you know that, kind of makes watching her hug Plastique and say, do it here, do it for the so cameras, yeah. kind of icky to me. Yeah, you do. You, you've seen behind the Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. uh, uh, sheet, so it's like... You have unmasked you know. the Scooby-Doo villain, as it were. Oh my god, jinkies. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's get back to the runway. Runway, sure. runway. The queen had to accomplish farm culture looks. Mm. Who stood out from the herd, as it were? Who stood out from the herd? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are looking for a new co-host of the library. No, we are not. <laughs> um, uh, we are uh, not. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn was really great. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Brooklyn's. I enjoyed... 
Plastiques, obviously. I really like Plastiques. Yeah. Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's looked very oh, street yeah. ready. That was gorgeous. Beautiful. You could wear that out. Yeah. Anywhere in New Great York draping, would be totally yeah. fine. Uh, Plastiques, also gorgeous. But let's talk about Akira sure. really quickly. Because Akira was a little tragic. I thought when I first saw it, considering the fact that she, you know, had to remake an entire look the day of, I thought it was fine. But then when the judges pointed out the shoulder pads on the cape, I realized if she had just left that off, it could have been a stunning, like, denim look. So there's nothing wrong with shoulder pads. Let's just establish that I mean, that right you now. look Scooby-Dooby damn today, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Hayes. No problem. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, let's look really quickly at Raj's, though, who is also yeah. on not looking so hot this time. I gotta <sighs> say, I agree with Michelle Visage's critique. I just wrote down, she is Groot. Oh my Look God. at that tall sequoia tree <sighs> look, walking down the runway. <laughs> some of the finishes and uh, the accentuation were a little bit over the top, but what I will say is that Raja mm -hmm. does know how to construct a garment well. Did it tear? Yes. The pants but, were falling apart. Oh, but look at the detail of the stripe. Like, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, Plastique won. The color story was great. The aesthetic was great. But Plastique wore the same thing that she's worn every time. I'm sure she'll get clocked for that eventually. Truth but I love Plastique's headpiece and just the styling of it. It was just okay. impeccable. It was cool. Well, time to hold on to your wigs, though, because spoilers are ahead. <laughs> This week, Raja O'Hare had to lip-sync for her life again. This time against last week's a winner, Akira Davenport. How did they do? Um, they did well, but you can also tell that, like, whenever it's a queen's time to go after she's lip-synced a few times, they go from getting that great fierce edit, like uh -huh. when Raja beat Mercedes or, you know... You can tell when they're flailing a little. Yeah. Or when Mercedes beat uh, uh, Kahana. Right. Like, but now it's like... We've seen your trips, Raja, we've seen your tricks already. It's kind of yeah. how it feels, too. Yeah. So I got to say, in the end, it was Raja O'Hara's time performing on the big stage in the sky. She was the one at home. Another one bites the dust on our Infinity War Thanos. <laughs> it, looks like, it looks like an advent calendar of when oh. we're counting down for the winner. It's true. I'm into it. At this point, who do you think is a front runner for the crown? Oh, um, I'm going to call it now. The, to this camera, yes, Nina West is going to really? be the winner, hands down. Really? Bottom line, she's going to win. Yeah, that is a take out of yeah. you. Not only is she a slightly yeah. bigger queen, but she's also a comedy queen. It's been a while yeah. since we had one of those yeah. take it like that. So. I personally think that she could be top four. Absolutely. But yeah. I'm thinking the winner, it's it's a dead heat between Evie and Brooklyn in my mind. Ah, mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Syzygy, yeah. thank you as ever for your wisdom thank and your you. knowledge. So appreciated. The library is now closed. Up next is the final Game of Thrones interview with the actor who plays Grey Worm, Jacob Anderson. Stick around if you oh. Welcome back. This is We Know Nothing, a series we created to talk about the things we don't know yet about Game of Thrones, which is nothing. We know nothing. We're idiots. Um, well, today uh, we're going straight to the source again with actor Jacob Anderson, of course, who plays Grey Worm. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. You're just, you know, way more chill. I feel so sophisticated with that music. <laughs> oh, is that? Okay. You yeah. got your mug, everything just chilling yeah. out. I love it. I love it. Now, obviously, you can't spoil anything for the show. No. They're like lasers and they'll come get you. Um, <laughs> but I did want to ask you, um, did the finale live up to your expectations? Oh, it like smashed my expectations. Oh, really? Yeah. As someone who tends to obsess over mm. fan theories and stuff, is, is that like a waste of time? Should we stop 
trying to theorize and predict what's going to happen this season? I think like, I think it's worth not doing that anyway. Okay. Just, just like purely because I think you just set yourself up mm-hmm. for like not that I want to say disappointment, mm-hmm. but like. I, what if you come up with an idea that you like better than the actual? That's true. I mean, listen, you're, you're, like, you're telling me to free my schedule up because I've been devoting a lot of time to reading yeah. theories. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna. No, I, I feel like the theories are kind of not worth okay. like paying too much attention to, or like, or just don't wind yourself off. But it, it starts. Yeah. Very soon. So. It's almost. It's almost upon us. Yeah. Just a couple of days. You just enjoy it. Um, so you know, I feel like Grey Worm, and you maybe Grey Worm will disappoint me at the moment the season starts. But I feel like Grey Worm is a very beloved character. Uh, <laughs> 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 He's been a good guy. You yeah. know, doing good things. Um, him and Masandra. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to miss about playing Grey Worm? Um. It's really hard to say. I feel like I'll know when I'm a little bit further away from mm-hmm. the show. I know what I don't miss. Oh, okay, what are you not going to miss about playing Green Worm? My costume. Okay. Quite like costume is beautifully designed uh-huh. and it, is, it looks amazing. Uh-huh. You can't move in it. <laughs> At all? No. Like when, when I'm fighting, I'm literally just like tearing bits of the costume. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> what is it made out of? It's just leather? Just... Is not well because I've got like it used to just be leather mm-hmm. and that had its own problems because it would like cut into your skin. Oh, okay. Because it was just like it was like just skin uh-huh. leather over skin. Uh-huh. Whereas now I've got this kind of like these pajamas that go underneath it because it's cold. <laughs> yeah, like okay. Oh right, because now you've gone from like being got, in the desert to now you're in. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So um, but it's like quite rigid. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm not gonna miss that. Well, I did want to ask you, talking about the costume, you, you, you played yourself just now, Jacob, because uh, I have a tweet here um, where someone was basically like, does Grey Worm have a dick or not? Yeah, uh, Do yeah, you know? Does. Do they tell? See, Carrie was like, <laughs> I need to go to work. <laughs> Carrie was like, listen, she was racking her brain. You That's know, amazing. Show, the show already comes on kind of late, so she's probably figuring out, do I need to go to bed or not? And then she was like, here I am, trying to figure out if this character has a penis. So I was keeping her up at night. <laughs> was there a oh. conversation, you know, with producers about the anatomy of Grey Worm? I, no, I did ask. Okay. I asked a few years ago just because I was curious. I, he just doesn't have... I mean, how, like... <laughs> I'm trying to put this in like a classy way. You don't have to be classy. We curse here all the he time. He has a dick. He has no he balls. He has a dick. I told you he has. He doesn't have any balls though. Okay. None See? of the unsullied have balls. Right. Although like, I think I think it was Dan Weiss that said something to the effect of like, but all the unsullied are different. He was like, so Grey Worm doesn't have any balls, but he has got, or it's not that he doesn't have any balls. It's just that there's like a cut okay. in between. So they're not connected. Wow. Um, Graphic, right? Yeah. Um, but he was like, I don't think the slavers would have been particularly like, they Thoughtful. weren't doing surgery, yeah. So he's like, oh. probably all the different eunuchs in the show have different situations. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I imagine he can't, um, can't have children. With okay, the situation. and see, this is important but, because his romance yeah. with Masande is is so beautiful. Like, actually, beautiful. Like, I, I am, you know, I know you don't want me to just, like set myself over disappointment, but I'm kind of hoping you two get to ride off in the sunset together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, me but, too. That's <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you deserve love. You deserve love. I think I think those kids are so good. They're so pure. Mm-hmm. 
think they that's the I really yeah I think they deserve some happiness absolutely yeah. also um, something I've seen people talk a lot about is race mm-hmm. uh, and or the lack of lack thereof of diversity on Game of Thrones um, is that something that you're looking forward to the the franchise doing better with the prequel yeah of course yeah I was really excited when I saw yeah. the the cast for the new for the prequels mm-hmm. or the pre, it's prequel, prequel. Right? Yeah. I think that's the um, <laughs> yeah. I think like it's a weird thing because obviously like I'm very proud to be a part of the right. show, and I think that there are things that uh, I touched on with Grey Worm and the Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of speak on something to mm-hmm. do with uh, being uh, like othered in mm-hmm. a, in that kind of world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. It, it could have been better. Could have been better. You know, better. I, I don't like. I don't. I, I'm not. I I think that Natalie and I are not. Uh, we have those conversations. Too. Okay. Good. You know, like okay. it's like we. It's not. It's not lost. That's not a thing that like is lost on us. Not lost on you guys. No. Okay. But I'm like. I I think it's the kind of thing that's like you want to have a really thoughtful mm. conversation about it. Mm-hmm. I did. I saw something the other day. I'm gonna get myself in trouble now. But I saw like an article the other day that was basically like, there are no black people in Game of Thrones, mm. which I can understand where that like impulse to be like, you know. But I think Natalie and I do get erased from the conversation quite a lot, mm-hmm. which sucks. Cause it's like, I think sometimes we get erased to strengthen an argument that doesn't really need strengthening. Like mm-hmm. we all kind of know that there could have been a bit more representation mm-hmm. over the years. Um, but I think that everybody's kind of mindful of that. I hope so. so yeah, because yeah. you're like, listen, don't don't ignore the work we're doing to make the, the broader argument. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's also not lost on me that you have great music. Thank you. Way. You are on my Spotify playlist, so I selfishly much. need to ask. I don't know if y'all know, but like bars, Jacob is giving them to us. Uh, <laughs> are we going to get like new music from you soon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm working on my second album now. Okay. I'm like close Close to the finish line. All right. Okay, Jacob. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I love it. I was, it was such a, a delight when I was like, it kind of came up in like Spotify Discover or whatever. And I was like, okay. And I was like, wait a minute. Isn't this Grey Worm? Shut up. The Unsullied is sullied now. We're living. I love it. So cool. It's sullied so now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before I let you go, um, we know you obviously don't have control over who ends up in the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of the show, we wanted to give you a little bit of that power. Okay. Um, and so I want you to, can we get the bowl for a second? Then have you pick a name out of this bowl. Nice. Um, and it's basically going to be like you have 30 seconds mm-hmm. to act like you are the campaign manager uh, for the next leader of Westeros, and you're going to make your pitch. Nice. All right, so you're going to pick okay. a name. Wait, I don't need to do that, <laughs> I mean, do I? If, 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 it helps, it if it helps, to <laughs> look away. <laughs> Who'd you get? Okay. Oh, Rihanna. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Miss Finty. All right, so you're going to hold this and uh, look over here. Um, and... I'll let you do your pitch. Now, Miss Rihanna has come. Oh, you oh, got 30 clock. seconds. You're I was like, like someone's <laughs> tapping over there. Um, Rihanna is a boss. She's got her own huge brand, makeup brand, so she keep everyone looking fly. Uh, she, uh, she's like, she's really diversified over the years. To think she's gone from, she's gone from the likes of Umbrella and. And and moved on to the the work of art that is anti 
Uh, I'm going to carry on because I missed it a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know loads about Rihanna, but she's just amazing. And she's, she's cool. She doesn't give a fuck what it. you think. And that's why she should be the queen. Because you, she's you're in safe hands. I t totally cheated. I like it's fair. That's not how you play a game. Would, would Rihanna stick to the timer? No. No. No, she wouldn't. So we stand. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You were like, I don't know enough, but I know I do not want to piss off Rihanna. So yeah, yeah. she's yeah. gonna be our queen. Yeah. I love it. Well, Jacob, thanks for playing Thank along you. and thanks for hanging out this morning. Of course, Game of Thrones premieres on Sunday on HBO. I'm excited. I'm gonna stop coming up with my theories though. I'm gonna chill. I'm gonna chill. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. <laughs> August 30th, 2018, Nicole Silverberg tweeted, I am feeling sad tonight, so I want to put it out into the universe that I really want to host a Grey's Anatomy podcast. It is my favorite show, and my podcast would be good and funny and interesting, just like Grey's. All I ever want to do, want to talk about is Grey's. This is my destiny. Well, on March 11th, 2019, Nicole's destiny was fulfilled and Nicole's Grey's Anatomy launched. Nicole joins me now. Nicole, congratulations on your new podcast. That is Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. It's so amazing to already have just my destiny fulfilled, but that's sometimes just how it works out. You put an ask to Twitter. You put an ask out into the universe or to Twitter, which I guess is a strange microcosm of the universe, and you get what you want. It's a good lesson for this Friday. So what was the road like from thinking about this podcast, wanting to have this podcast, and actually having it come to fruition? Well, uh, so my day job is I'm a TV writer. I write for Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, which basically means that I watch CNN like 15 hours a day. I think that was kind of as the Brett Kavanaugh stuff was gearing up, and I was like, I'm profoundly depressed. Um, we had like a meeting with all the writers, and afterwards my boss was like, hey, Nicole, can you stay back for a second? And I was like, I'm about to get fired. And she was like, are you okay? Aww. I was like, no. And I just kept thinking about how I needed something outside of uh, the news to <laughs> focus on, and all I would do when I would get home is just rewatch Grey's and talk about it. And it's just been a show that's been in my life for a really long time. So, um, Forever Dog is the podcast network that I'm on, and they work with a lot of my friends, kind of in the comedy scene. And I kind of told them like, "This is going to be my hobby. It's going to be fun. I don't want to like make money off of it. I just need it to be an outlet." And so they were really uh, nice, and they were like, "Okay." geez, wow, it seems like you really need this. That's so great, and that's such a good reminder, too. I mean, obviously, I work in the news industry as well, and it's true. The news has been so depressing, especially around that time, that you really, we do need an outlet for fun to talk about something fun. Okay, so I've listened to your podcast, and I have to ask you, who is singing the amazing theme song? I am so glad you asked. That is my friend, Sam Reese. She is a comedian and... Um, <laughs> has a musical theater training, and she has an incredible voice. And she started watching, she's actually been a guest on the podcast too, she started watching Grey's this past summer after a breakup, and uh, is now with us, uh, all caught up, watching week to week, which is very bold and special of her. And yeah, she did like about 10 perfect takes of just naming elements of Grey's Anatomy, and they're all, they're all perfect. <laughs> 
Honest, they should just be a ringtone. It's it was extremely incredible. And as someone who once had a roommate who watched all I think 13 seasons of Grey's Anatomy after a breakup, I get it. <laughs> I, I watched it. I watched her go through that, and I was like, you gotta do it, you gotta do, girl. That's what it's there for. Exactly. Okay, so like I said, there's, so, there's 15 seasons of Grey's. How do you choose a topic out of all of those seasons? I mean, I guess it gives you a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing I knew that I didn't want to talk about is like have it be a traditional recap podcast where it was like, Episode one is episode one. Episode two <laughs> is episode two. Because the show has been on for such a long time that many of the iconic characters and episodes that people love so much, those uh, don't come in you know, until episode 100, 200. And that seems like a punishment rather than a hobby. So I, what I, my idea was, was people have their own specific relationship to Grey's Anatomy. They didn't necessarily watch it for all of it. They stopped for whatever extremely valid reason. I respect them. Uh, and so I just thought, let the guest kind of decide what they want to talk about, whatever character, relationship, or case, or uh, you know, connection that they have to their own personal life. And having that dictate it has been a lot more fun um, because it's whatever the guest wants to really bring to the table. And Grace is all about you. <laughs> so. And you've had so many great people on. Bowen Yang, friend of the show. Alana oh, yeah. Bennett, friend of the show. Uh, so one of the things you have guests do is you talk about a chandelogue. Yes. Can you explain to our viewers what a chandelogue is? Yes. So uh, if you've watched any Shonda Rhyme, Shondaland uh, universe show, you know that at some point or, you know, up to 10 points in every episode, a character gives this big speech and it's emotional and it's asking for something. And it usually has like this one thesis, like, I didn't used to be this way. And it just like keeps recurring up through it. And it's woven together so perfectly. And to me, I wanted to give every Grace fan the opportunity to do kind of their own, their own chandelog, either you know in the world of Grace or in their own life, and so we end every episode with some chandelogs. Do you have a chandelog you could give up to us right now? I mean, there's always one inside me somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure I could. Okay, so we've got some music, oh and God. we have a nice camera here for you to look to, and I want to get you to give us our, your best chandelog. Okay. I need you. <laughs> That's crazy to say, and I don't think that I would have said that six months ago, but I need you. <sighs> Everything's been so crazy lately, and you have always been there, like this port in a storm, and you don't need to be needed, and that scares me. But I need you. And I need a house, and I need a dog, and I need these things, but I need to have them with you. So when I'm done with surgery tonight, I'm gonna be at Joe's bar. And if you think that you're ready to be needed, then I'll meet you there. Okay, and then they all just leave the room always wordlessly without saying goodbye or waiting for a response. <laughs> that was amazing! Thank you so much. I loved that. That was incredible. Thank you. It's honestly, it's an honor to be able to channel the formulaic, yet perfect monologues that make me cry that I've watched for 10 years. 
I am very impressed. I think Shonda needs to call you up. Do you think you could ever get someone like Shonda Rhimes in your podcast, or do you want it to be more of a fan-driven podcast? I do want it to be more of a fan-driven podcast, but I do, it is, I do sort of have an agenda, and the agenda that I have is that I really, really, really want an oral history of Grey's Anatomy, and so any way that I can help contribute to that by either having... Um, Oh my gosh, Krista Vernoff, current showrunner, Zoanne Clack, who has been with the show since the very beginning, and I always see her name, and I'm like, girl, you're a doctor, and you write for Grey's, and you've been there for 15 seasons. Tell me what you've seen. Uh, but also, yes, if Ellen Pompeo ever wants to just do uh, a list, let her talk for an hour and a half. She can just, <laughs> she can just go nuts. I think she has a lot to say. <laughs> she has so much to say. She's amazing. They kept her locked up for so many years. They were like, she is Boston. She is intense. She doesn't take instructions from anyone. She goes hard. And now they're like letting her do press. And it's always her just like yelling at a camera being like, know your worth. And I think it, I need her to come on and tell me that. Totally. I think we all need that. So we're going to put that this now onto the timeline. We're going to manifest that. Ellen Pompeo is going to come on Nicole's Grey's Anatomy. I feel like it's going to happen this time next year. It's just, it's going to happen. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. And you can listen to Nicole's Grey's Anatomy wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes come out every Monday. Up next, Saeed and Hayes are reading more of your tweets. Welcome back. You are now watching The Only Thing Standing Between Me and My Weekend. Hey! <laughs> Our first tweet comes from the wonderful Sisa G. She tweeted, 50 retweets and I'll make Hayes do drag for the RuPaul's Drag Race reunion show. Ooh. Oh, is that a thing? I'm going to Is that a that. thing? Since I'm when is this a that. thing? I, apparently it's a I thing. I have been I'm gonna given retweet no it. information about this I am until this moment. Really? I, oh, I'm here for it. Well, we what? also apparently have a video message, so... What is it? Oh. And a hundred retweets, and he'll tuck. Excuse the fuck out of you. What? Since when? Would you tuck for the culture? Oh, I, mm. Would you allow someone to grab your penis and pull it between your butt cheeks and pull it back uh, tight enough so that there's not a bulge in the front, and then apply several layers of duct tape to make sure it depends. It Am I competing for a hundred thousand dollars? Because I feel like there's a difference between these situations here. <laughs> I mean, you really love Drag Race. I do love Drag Race. Do I love Drag Race? I have a lot to think about. Let's read some of your tweets. We ask which character you think will be the first to die in the last season of Game of Thrones. Tanya Melendez, you tweeted, according to my Game of Thrones fantasy league picks, Tormund will die. Mm. I see. Which, considering my track record on brackets and leagues and such, means he will end up on the throne. <laughs> Tanya, I you called like it. Him. You got this I one. do like this. Now, listen, um, I'm, I'm seeing the tweets. Um, I apparently have angered a lot of people by saying that Brienne uh, is going to die oh. in the first episode because she is really beloved. Mm -hmm. I love her. Here's my thing. I'm a realist. I'm sorry. It's Game <laughs> of Thrones. Like, did you literally forget that they killed the main character in the first season? Like, first the entire season. concept of Game of Thrones is like, Oh, you like that person? You, do you think they're really noble and great? They're Too dead bad. Now. They're dead now. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice Brienne. It would be a shame if something were to happen to it. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Get another show if you don't, don't want your beloved character to, to die. And you're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kirsten Baptiste had this to say about Wendy Williams' divorce. Ooh, yeah. 
Mm. Wendy Williams' husband has done so much dirt, he should only be able to leave with his life. <laughs> that's it. Here's the reason. He looks like a bucket, first of all, and that's just fact. We are a news organization, okay? You know, so. Um, but also, like, he cheated on her really horribly and, like, put her through so much. She's been going through, like, uh, sobriety treatment. Like, right. she's been in basically a halfway house. Like, it's bad. He has dragged her through hell, you know? And I just feel like, fuck you, and you get nothing is how I feel. You get, you get nothing, nothing, sir. Good day, sir. Well, before we go, do not forget to sign up for our AM to DM newsletter to find out which T-shirt won our lower third poll this week. Category is Jim Who. Is that an office joke? No, it's a it's a pun. Oh. Jim G Y M. Oh my God! Thank you to our <laughs> guests, Brittany Daniel, Adrian Lawrence, Tarini Party, Stephanie McNeil, Susan G. Tuck. You're going to do it. You're going to do it for the culture. I believe in you. Nicole Silverberg and Jacob Anderson. Next week, we have Jeremy <laughs> Sisto, Lake Bell, Rami Youssef, and Tony Goldman. I am so excited to ask Tony Goldman about his eyebrows. <laughs> it's like, does Grey Worm have a dick? Does Tony Goldman have eyebrows? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we will be here on Friday. Monday. Have a great weekend. You deserve. Except for Wendy Williams' husband. I hope he just has a horrible weekend. Terrible time.